everybody welcome to the we know ball podcast my name is ryan episode 59 of the we know ball podcast we greatly appreciate you guys tuning in got a lot to talk about this podcast specifically with we know ball probably going to start ramping up a little bit we got football coming we got sort of basketball coming and with both of those and especially with football it's not just the nfl we got college football on saturdays nfl on sundays a couple months later you got the nba you got college hoops you got mlb playoffs hockey anything else i guess golf soccer we'll do it all we'll cover it all and we're excited to talk about it as the football season begins to show itself as we're preparing for the nfl season the college football season and all those things mixed in We're going to be including a little bit of fantasy football. We're going to be including a little bit of sports gambling uh, because those two things with fantasy and sports betting go hand in hand with football season. People bet on baseball, people bet on basketball, and we may do some basketball betting stuff as well. But fantasy football, I mean, that that in it of itself, that is such a huge part of the football season. So we're going to talk fantasy football today at the end of the episode or towards the end, if you will, I'm going to be giving you guys five wide receivers and five running backs that I think you should heavily pay attention to slash target slash draft slash get on your team at all costs type of guys, five wide receivers, five running backs. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. Before we do that, we're going to cover the entire spectrum of the world of sports. Starting with the baseball season, for those of you who don't listen to or haven't checked out our We Know Baseball podcast, baseball-only show, part of the We Know Ball group. But baseball right now is getting into... I don't know, this part of the year with August, it's like kind of the dog days situation, right? Um, front runners teams that are leading the pack and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it 
But of course you got your Dodgers. Of course you've got your Braves. That's the National League. The Baltimore Orioles are record-wise the best team in the American League East. Or, uh, yeah, well, in the AL East, but in the entire American League. I don't know if that's going to stand true for the remainder of the season. I mean, there's over a month left. So for the Orioles, will they cool off a little bit? Maybe. Are they still a very good team? Yes. So we'll see what happens to the Baltimore Orioles in the American League. I wouldn't be surprised to see them making a deep postseason run and getting into at least the ALCS. Maybe the World Series. Uh, you got this whole, well, I was going to say one of their competitors or one of their biggest threats in the American League is or maybe now was the Tampa Bay Rays, right? I mean, uh, the the Orioles, I, I mean, just in that division alone, the Yankees are in last place, and that's crazy, crazy, but not really when you look at it, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Toronto Blue Jays are a solid team. Red Sox are meh. And then I mentioned Tampa Bay. Excuse me. And we uh, we look across the rest of the American League. You got the Rangers out, out west and you got the Astros out west. Besides the Rangers and the Astros, there's really no other threat to the Orioles and potentially Tampa Bay, potentially Toronto. It's a five and a half slash six horse race in the American League. And in the National League, in all honesty, it's it's a two horse race. It's the Braves and the Dodgers. I mean, the Braves and the Dodgers will play each other in the National League Championship Series. Like that's already booked, submitted over with who wins that series between those two. Uh, is yet to be determined, right? Health, a lot of things can change between now and then. But ultimately, those two teams are going to be uh, playing for a chance to go to the World Series. Now, in the American League, we'll touch on the Yankees here briefly. You've got a situation where I mentioned Baltimore, young, spry, motivated, talented, nothing to lose. Electric, to some degree, baseball team. And if you look at some of their metrics, they might be outperforming their record or or maybe I delivered that wrong. If you look at their record and you look at their metrics, their record and their wins and losses might be outperforming their metrics. And what I mean by that is they they're a really good team, uh, but they have inexperience on the mound especially in the rotation. Uh, they got a good back end of the bullpen and they do have a lot of really young, talented hitters. But for them to have the same or better record than the Atlanta Braves, when you put the two teams side by side in the Orioles and the Braves, the Braves offensive metrics, they're like first place or top of the league in like literally every single offensive category. The Orioles, are, while not a bad offensive team, they're not the same thing as the Braves not to mention you know the Braves yeah their pitching might have some scuffles or spots here and there but 
the Orioles have a ton of young, inexperienced guys in the rotation, and their pitching metrics are also kind of in the middle to top third of the league. So when you look at all those indicators, you would assume the Orioles as a team would be like, oh, yeah, they'd be like five, six, seven, ten at, at a ceiling, ten games over 500. Uh, but for them right now, I think I think they're at least uh, 30-ish games over 500. I could be wrong on that as I check the standings here. Um, yeah, 74 and 47, right? 74 and 47 for Baltimore 78 and 42 for the Braves. The Braves are, you know, two and a half games better. But another really good indicator as I look at the standings here, the Braves run differential at 78 and 42 wins and losses. The run differential is plus 208. So with that indicator, based on the metrics and the run scored versus runs allowed, uh, MLB.com has a expected win loss like what they would expect them to be uh record wise based on that run differential and their regular their actual record is 78 and 42 their expected record is 79 and 41 so they're honestly a game under what their expected win loss is supposed to be whereas the baltimore orioles are 74 and 47 but their run differential is plus 58. Now that's good. That's a good run differential, but their expected win loss is much different than their, their actual record. Their actual record. I mentioned 74 and 47, their expected win loss is 66 and 55. So to be at a spot like the Orioles where they're basically outperforming their run differential by eight games not what i would consider to be sustainable will they go to the world series i don't know i would probably put my money down out in the west in the american league with the rangers or the astros uh because the rangers 72 and 49 really good record um but plus 195 on the run differential uh, their expected win loss is 78 and 43. So they're playing six games under their expected win loss. Like that's where I'm like, okay, they've run into a maybe, honestly, believe it or not, a little bit of bad luck. And uh, so I'd put my money out in Texas with either the Texas Rangers or the Houston Astros, just because the Astros have been there, plus 90 run differential. Um, and the Yankees, we mentioned, sit. At the very bottom of the American League East, they're 60 and 61. And to touch on the Yankees quickly and, and potentially relate it back to the sports world as a whole. Okay. I think what happened with baseball this year with teams like the Mets, teams like the Padres, but especially teams like the New York Yankees, where it's an organization, it's a team rooted deep in not only the history of the sport, but like, honestly, American history, right? The Yankees are, are in New York City. They've had some of the most iconic sports figures featured for their team, maybe in the history of American sports with Babe Ruth and Yogi Berra and Lou Gehrig. And they're historically probably the best American sports franchise ever. That being said, in the year 2023, in a world of 
new developments, new discoveries, technology increasing exponentially on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. The Yankees, as an organization, seem to be operating on a bit of an old-fashioned basis, right? They fall back on their roots, and a lot of their evaluation of players and their evaluation going into acquiring players is based on a lot of like eye test stuff like how scouts used to operate in baseball and as it turns out especially in a sport like baseball that type of thinking and that approach no longer plays and that could be said in probably all other sports too where you can't just be like yeah that guy's quick no, like, what's his sprint speed? Or, oh, uh, that guy's really strong. Like, he's a big man. Boy. No, no, no. What's his exit velo? Or in basketball, you know, what's his... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with basketball metrics or even football metrics. Like, it's, it's different in a lot of different sports, but it's like... You can't just go based on like old fashioned approach and old old fashioned tradition, right? And the example of that is you got a team like the Yankees who are number three in payroll, and then you got a team like the Orioles who are bottom five in payroll and yet are so much better than the Yankees are, right? That's just analytics. That's just numbers. That's just approaching the game with a new mindset, approaching sports with a new mindset. Right. Billy Bean or, or Brad Pitt, but Billy Bean in the movie Moneyball operating a team like the Oakland A's low payroll, low budget. What are they got to do? He mentions it. You know, you got to use numbers in your favor. You got to basically be like the guy that's like counting cards at the blackjack table. And when you do that and you have at least that sort of generalized way of thinking, he mentions it in the movie where he's like, yeah, we got to go numbers and we got to stay analytic and we got to we got to use every advantage we can. That's not related to spending a bunch of money. The old fashioned scouts in the Oakland A's organization are like, Billy, what are you talking about? We've been doing this for 50 years. This is how it's always been done. And his response is. Adapt or die. And for the Yankees, there has been no effort to adapt. It's just been, we're the Yankees. We're going to win. We got a lot of money. And in baseball, and honestly in sports in 2023, that no longer is really the case. And, you know, you look at, at basketball. It's like, man, let's just buy, buy, the, buy the wins, buy the championships, or at least build the super teams. And it started with LeBron. It started in Miami. Honestly, it started maybe... In, in the 90s, a little bit with the Bulls and stuff like that. But, you know, they build the super teams and it worked. It worked for LeBron. I mean, he got a couple rings in Miami, you know. Um, Golden State was a little bit more homegrown. But a lot of these other teams are like, man, we'll just assemble a super team, three stars, and we'll win it all. That's like no longer the case in the NBA. The Denver Nuggets proved and showed you can draft, you can develop, and you can bring in supplemental complementary pieces on the outside with good leadership, good veteran presence. You could also win an NBA championship and not only win that one game or that one championship, but you can keep that 
or group together without having to pay two or three guys a ton of money and then just not be able to afford the rest of the team and have a little bit of depth, right? So the Yankees, I think, are a microcosm of the way sports as a whole is trending. More depth, more numbers-based, more analytical-based, right? These organizations, these pro sports teams want to get more bang for their buck. And you're seeing it across sports. You're seeing guys, you're like, man, you know, I feel like this guy is so underpaid. Like, he's so good. He's so underpaid. Or, you know, like, man, that's a big contract for a guy uh, or teams with high payrolls. And then it just doesn't really end up working out. Right. So it's a tough it's tough for the Yanks. Um, but I mean, ultimately, as an organization, they'll be fine. It's just they got to kind of start moving in the direction as the rest of the league and not even the rest of the league, the rest of their division. I mean, Tampa Bay and Baltimore, those two teams are are bottom five in payroll like every year. And especially this year, they're bottom five in payroll. The Yankees are top three. And the uh, Baltimore and Tampa Bay are just mopping up the Yankees right now. Um, and the last thing we'll touch on here with baseball to quickly cover uh, in Tampa Bay, specifically staying in that American League East. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to even offer a ton of opinions or, or information on it just because there's still so much of it up in the air. Uh, but with the Rays specifically, man, uh, shortstop Wander Franco, who they just signed to a, a big contract extension, uh, was a big time prospect, um, switch hitting, talented shortstop with a ton of tools and a lot of promising years in front of him. Um, it's been basically rumored discovered speculated that he's had some some let's say intimate relationships with with some underage girls i don't know the full story i'm not gonna make any rash judgments but from what we've seen and what we've heard and from some reporters and some reliable sources it's starting to look like Wander Franco may never play baseball again in the major leagues, at least. And to that as a whole, right. In that type of situation, I'm not operating on the guilty until proven innocent standard. I'm just talking about how these leagues operate from a public relations basis. And even if he is innocent or let's say he goes through due process and he's still too much of a liability for these teams to take him on uh, just based on PR alone. And with that, just that factor of it, not the other part where I'm assuming he's guilty, just being a player who can be marketable or just appear okay enough to a fan base, public relations wise. How, 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 how I, 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 I know I know everybody is human, man. I know people make mistakes. I know people make mistakes every day. I make mistakes every day. People around me, people that I know and trust and care about make mistakes every day. 
And I, I know that I certainly don't have as much of my, I don't have as much on the line as these guys. And I also don't have as much money or as much power. But like, how, how are these pro athletes making such just detrimental decisions and surrounding themselves with just such brutal people? I mean, even on, on the better end of the spectrum, right? In situations like a guy like one of my favorite players or who was one of my favorite players in Fernando Tatis Jr. Young guy, dad played the big leagues for 10 years, superstar, signs a monster contract, and then just boom, pops a positive PED test and gets suspended. How? How? How is that happening? Henry Ruggs, man. It's all right there in front of you, Henry. You go to Alabama, you play really well under a really disciplined program and head coach, go to the NFL and you're there for like a year. And then you're driving 150 miles an hour down Las Vegas Boulevard. And, you know, don't even want to say what, what happened, but everyone knows. How, 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 how? Now we, we have a Wander Franco situation. And... If you don't know exactly the details, I don't even want to go into it because uh, it's just it's kind of just icky to talk about. But how how is he in this situation? Man, I just don't get how these guys, these pro athletes, they're not just making like mistakes, right? Like, uh, I don't know, like getting in a car accident or like rear ending somebody or like. Um, you know, like trying to flirt with girls and then like, oh, it doesn't, you know, but maybe it comes off a little creepy, but like, that's not, that's what I like. It's not great. It's not, it's not that like these guys are committing like felonies, like lifetime punishable crimes and they're pro athletes just raking in millions of dollars. I just don't get it. I don't understand how. It continues to just like happen. And I know it's not everybody. I know I'm singling out a couple of guys, but it's like, man, it seems like every three to six months, some pro athletes like, oh, and his career is over and he's 23. Like what, dude? Oh, like how is there nobody in Wander Franco's life? That's like, okay, you're a pro athlete. Not only are you a pro athlete, now you're super high profile and you just signed a huge contract extension. So let's go over some of the things you probably shouldn't be doing. Number one, drinking and driving. Let's avoid that at all costs. Uh, number two, pedophilia. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry, guys. I need to talk to a couple people and get that hand. Whoa, 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 what? Like, dude, dude, brutal, man. Brutal break for the race, honestly, more than anybody. Besides the all the people that Wander Franco affected with this terrible situation, right? Now you're Tampa Bay. You're like, dude, uh, come on, man. Just sucks. Just icky, blech. This doesn't make you feel good and just, blech. I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. So that's all we're going to talk about with baseball. Moving on to the NFL, okay? Moving on <laughs> to football and uh, other storylines and stuff like that. Um... Actually, quickly, we'll talk about uh, the NBA 
So NBA situation. Um, the only thing I wanted to talk about quickly with the NBA is James Harden. Okay. James Harden is like a member of the 76ers, but he doesn't want to be, but like maybe he does. But then the 76ers president says he doesn't, but then he doesn't, but then he does. I'll tell you one thing. If I was running an NBA team, my number one priority until he retires is to keep James Harden as far away from my organization as humanly possible. There's like a couple guys in the league that I feel that way about, and he is at the top of that list. Man, oh man, is James Harden just such a disaster to have on your team. Like, he's like pretty good, like when he plays every day. Like, he's like, he's like pretty good. Uh, he is yet to prove that he's good enough to be good on his own and not have uh, a handful of really good players as a part of his supporting cast for him to be good. He's yet to just be a solo act and put up good numbers, like consistently long period of time, good numbers and winning sustainably. And then he does get the really good supporting cast or he does go to a, a team with a lot of money. They don't have success. It's almost like the, the underperforming of an organization like follows him wherever he goes. Right. Like Oklahoma city had like a couple years and he was like pretty good. But again, star supporting cast, everyone disbands, everyone goes elsewhere. He goes to Houston underperforms, goes to Philly. Oh, actually goes to Brooklyn underperforms, goes to Philly underperforms. And I don't want to say underperforms in Philly because like they've made the playoffs. I just I if I was an NBA executive, I would avoid James Harden at all costs because all I just talked about was how he performs on the court. My God, is he a distraction off the court? And seemingly just never, ever happy with his situation. Like, it seems like the only way James Harden would ever be like, content and happy with the situation is if he was getting paid a top five salary in the league and winning an NBA championship every single year. But guess what? That's not realistic, James. So here's an idea. Take your 45, $50 million a year salary, put your head down, get to work and maybe do a little bit of soul searching Find out what city you would be the happiest in. Manipulate, complain your way to that team. And then go try to win a championship and make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Get yourself mentally right. And then just, dude, go play and prove it. Because to act like the way he does, like he deserves to be treated like a top five player in the game. He's just not. He's just not a top five player in the game. Uh, but he certainly acts like it and is a huge distraction off the court. And so as an executive in the NBA, you know, I just would never, I would never want a guy like that on my team. Never, never, never in a million years. 
that's all we're going to do NBA. It's the offseason. Nothing huge is happening there. Uh, in the NFL, we are three weeks away. NFL, we'll do some college football too. In the NFL, we're three weeks away. No, no, no. College, college football, we're three weeks away. NFL, uh, NFL, we're, I don't know. I, I, I could be off here. It's August 17th. Let's go to the schedule. Let's just, let's just do it. Uh, week one, week one starts on, yeah, September 7th. So we're three weeks away. We're three weeks away from the NFL. Uh, today's Thursday, August 17th. So, uh, preseason games week two starts tonight of preseason. Um, couple of things. Number one, Dalvin Cook ends up with the Jets. I, I'm not sure how much that's going to do. I think Dalvin Cook's really, really good. Um, but there's like already a bunch of running backs in, in the Jets organization. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Jets are going to be solid. I like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you'll see shortly here when we get into our fantasy sort of guys to target. Um, ultimately, I don't know. Dalvin Cook, like his name's big, right? And the Jets are flashy and good team right now. But like, I don't know. I guess we'll. I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um. Otherwise, you know, a lot of the rookie guys, a lot of the rookie quarterbacks. I, I don't I don't love holding a lot of weight into their preseason performances, especially when it's like their first time in the, against NFL defenses. Um, before you run to judgment on these rookie quarterbacks, I need everybody to let them play all the preseason games and probably at least eight to 10 regular season games. And even then, even then let's dial it back a little bit. And I'm not just talking about the guys like the top pick or the second, like you, all of them, we got to give a full season or two to Bryce young CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, honestly, Will Levis to a degree. Also, Jordan Love. Yeah, he's not like a rookie, but pretty much first time as a starter, full time. Because history tells us in the NFL that guys are not going to be good their rookie year. And if they are good their rookie year, they're kind of an anomaly, honestly. But Josh Allen, who is now arguably top one or two quarterback in the NFL was not great. His first year, Lamar Jackson ended up winning an MVP was not great. His first run through the NFL, Trevor Lawrence on a bad team, right? Wasn't very good. His first year. And that's what a lot of these rookie quarterbacks are going to be dealing with the Panthers with Bryce young. Mm, they're probably going to lose at least 10 or 11 games this year. 
Bryce Young's probably going to have some pretty ugly throws, but he's not going to be protected very well. That's just the nature of being on a bad team. CJ Stroud had one of the worst throws I have ever seen <laughs> in the NFL. Yes, it was a preseason week run game, but people were like, what the hell was that throw? Brutal throw, brutal. But it's like, he has to rush. Yeah, he has to get rid of the ball because he's not getting protected, right? Now, it was a bad throw, uh, but you're going to see those types of throws. You saw those types of throws from Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence in their first year in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence was not a good quarterback his rookie season, but the team was bad. So my point is, before you go rushing to judgment about Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, who knows with Will Levis and how much playing time he's going to get in Tennessee, but also Jordan Love. Um, I feel like there's some other guys that are like first-time starters. Uh, regardless, you got to give them a little time. Okay. And the only time, you, honestly, I think you really see these first-time starters, I guess that's what we'll call them, first-time starters, like jump in and have immediate success is when the offensive scheme is just and the offensive coordinator are just unbelievable and the team and the organization and, and situation um is just like already lined up and set up for success and that's like a brock purdy type situation uh that's like um let's see that's kind of like uh justin herbert where it's just like the team's already pretty stacked uh good offensive play calling like Solid organization, talented, uh, right? Brock Purdy was basically just Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo was a good quarterback with the 49ers. And I don't think he's an amazing quarterback, but Brock Purdy was going to have success pretty immediately with that offensive scheme in San Francisco. So give these guys a little bit of time uh, to develop because people are so quick to just bust. CJ Stroud, bust. Anthony Richardson. Uh, no, just relax. Okay, relax. College football. College football. Uh, you got this Michael Orr situation. You got this... Um, this whole uh what's the movie that's one of my favorites of all time the blind side michael Orr is now like suing or like claiming his former parents but not really his parents sean and leanne tui right his like adopted parents he's claiming that they like scammed him into signing some paperwork to be do some of his money i don't know it, it's it seems like a very foggy situation i'm not sure what's going to come out of it uh but it does kind of suck to see in other news the college football official first ap coaches poll or just the ap rankings ap rankings come out for college football no shocker preseason let's clarify preseason 
AP top 25 comes out for college football. Georgia gets the one seed. No one's shocked there. Michigan two, Ohio State three, Alabama four. Now, that will not end up being the college football playoff top four for a number of different reasons, unless Georgia goes undefeated. No, it just like you just can't. You just like can't. Unless every one of those other teams in the top 25 loses two plus games. Because then you could have a situation where Georgia and Alabama face off undefeated in the uh, SEC championship. Michigan and Ohio State always play at the end of the year. They're both undefeated going into that game. Both games end up being close with the SEC championship in Michigan, Ohio State. And then, you know, let's say Michigan beats Ohio State and the Michigan plays like Purdue or Iowa in the or Penn State in the Big Ten championship. Michigan destroys them. Penn State has three losses. Ohio State to get in again. Georgia will beat Alabama. Then Georgia plays LSU in the uh, in the. SEC championship or no. Yeah, no, they play each other in the SEC. I don't know. I think what's going to happen is Georgia will stay in the top four for most of the year. And after that, I think the teams with the best quarterbacks are going to get into the college football playoff. Um, Some of the teams here in the top 25 are hilarious and will lose at least. Let's put it this way. Here's some teams in the top 25 that I think will lose at at least at least four games this season. Okay. At number 10 is Washington. They're going to lose at least four games this year. Number 10 is disgusting for them. Number 13, Notre Dame. Always putting them in the top 25. Every year, they're just an average football team. Uh, Number 19, Wisconsin. They're going to lose at least four games this year. Why are they in the top 25? Great question. Iowa at number 25. I mean, what are we doing? And it's hilarious to me every year they put Texas A&M in the top 25 because they have great recruiting classes. They have unlimited money. And yet Texas A&M is hot garbage every year. Don't care if I piss off Texas A&M fans. It's true. Find me the last time Texas A&M was worth anything in the college football playoff picture or national championship picture. And the answer is Johnny Manziel. That was the last time they were relevant at all. Period. Yeah, they've had some big wins, but that doesn't translate over the course of a full season. So the last thing I'll say about college football, and then we'll get to our fantasy. uh, We'll get to our fantasy guys in the NFL. All of this college football playoff conference realignment all these different things going on right all these teams moving conferences and the sec is going to have texas and oklahoma next year and then the big 10 is going to have oregon and it's going to the usc and it's going to just 
all of the conference realignment in college football or in college sports in general is not it's all based around football right these football programs bring in all the money for these universities and these schools that are out on the west coast or in not the biggest conferences want to move to the bigger conferences and make more money that's all it is There's not one movement of one team or one conference realignment or one shift from team to a different conference that's going to change the fact that there's still only usually about five teams in the college football playoff picture every year that are actually worthy of potentially winning a national championship. The rest of the teams are just fluff. That's it. And until, until there are teams in college football that will prove me otherwise the way that the sport has been transformed into money and nil and big market and nfl level talent and all those different things you can pretty much guarantee that this year the national champion will be about five teams six teams potentially to choose from georgia Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, and maybe, maybe, maybe throw in a team like Clemson. Did I say LSU? I'll run that back again because I did not mean to say LSU if I did. If I didn't and I said USC, I meant you get the point. I'm going to run it back just in case I misspoke and I want to clarify. Every year. No matter the conference realignment, no matter where teams move, no matter what conferences grow or get better teams, it's all irrelevant uh, until I don't know. I don't know what would have to happen, but ultimately, because of the way college football is being is being shaped has been shaped over the last 10, 15 years. NIL. NFL level talent getting drafted high coaches that recruit better than the rest and talent. I get, I don't know. I don't know a lot of different things that go into it, but there's really only about five teams and it's the same five teams that have a legitimate chance to win the national championship this season. And it's, it's been the same five teams. For the last seven, eight, ten years. Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, and I'd say USC just with Caleb Williams. And then maybe you could throw in a Clemson. Clemson's not as much anymore, but obviously with Trevor Lawrence and a few years back, they were like almost a lock to get to the national championship every year. Um, and they're still a good program. But it's pretty much those five, and nobody else has a shot at winning the national championship. I don't care about AM's number one recruiting class. I don't care about LSU and Brian Kelly. I don't care about uh, Texas getting good players. I don't care about Tennessee beating Alabama. Like it, it, it's there's no other teams that even have a legitimate chance. Now that doesn't mean. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, USC 
aren't going to probably combine for three or four losses this year because that could happen. Those teams lose to other teams all the time. But if we're looking at it realistically, I don't mean to be that guy who's just like, oh, it's already over, but it is. Until any other program, any other team can really prove uh, to be a serious contender or until they realign the conferences and they put Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State and Alabama all in the same conference. So they all have to play each other and rack up two or three losses until that happens. Then maybe some other teams with fewer losses have a chance or you have the expanded college football playoff. But people are acting like people are acting like adding eight teams to the college playoff and making it 12 total is like actually going to give other teams a chance to win. It, it, all it does is just money. That's all it's for guys. Money, 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 period. End of story. It's not giving Utah a chance to win the national championship. You know why? Because Georgia or Michigan or Ohio state or Alabama are all infinitely better than Utah or Oregon. or Ole Miss, or Iowa. So my prediction would be one of those five teams. If it's any of those five teams, uh, if it's not any of those, if it's not Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, or USC winning the national championship this year, I would be shocked. No, I'll go one step further. If it's not Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, or USC, one of those five teams wins the national championship this year. If it's anybody else, I will shave my head. I'm serious. That's how confident I am that it's going to be one of those five teams. If there is a bet that was Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, USC to win the national championship or the field, meaning the rest of the entire potential college football playoff or college football teams, I'm taking those five teams. That's how confident I am. That being said, I'm excited. I love college football. It's so good. It's so good. It is so, so good. I would say, I, I, I would argue that the hype and the buildup and the product of high-level college football, at least for me, gets me just as excited as an NFL Sunday. That's not to say college football is as good as the nfl it's not like college football players and teams are as good as nfl teams that's not what i'm saying i'm talking about the pageantry i'm talking about the pregame, the post game storming the field the tailgate like college football man there is something about it that is so magical is so electric and i'd argue to a degree the product is just as good if not better than the nfl yikes that's probably a pretty hot take, but I, I, I believe it. I feel it on some on some occasions, right? There's some NFL Sundays where it's like, who are the best teams? Chiefs, Eagles, Bills, you know, you Bengals, you go through and they're all playing crap teams. And you're like, Ugh, okay, like, whatever, you know? And then you go the day before on Saturday and it's like rivalry week, rivalry week. You go the day before, and it's like Alabama's playing tech. Like I don't know. It's just college football, man. You get you get down to November. I'd argue it's a better product to turn on 
on the weekend than the NFL on some weekends. But that's a pretty hot take. Last thing here, the NFL, uh, back to it, talking about fantasy football. We're going to try to integrate fantasy football into our podcast episodes more frequently. And we're going to start because uh, it's August 17th. It's early, but people, man, are getting into fantasy football already. People are, I mean, I got to draft this in, in, in three days, you know? So I, I wanted to put this out there with my top fives in a couple of positions, the primary positions, you know, primary point scorers besides quarterbacks uh, and tight ends in fantasy. So going through my list, I've got your top five wide receivers that you need to keep a very close eye on and potentially try to prioritize going into your fantasy football drafts. Okay. I've got the reasoning for all of them, but we'll, we'll just get into it straight away and start with wide receivers. Top five, starting at number five. Okay. Corey Davis on the New York jets. There's a lot of reasons why I personally love the acquisition of Corey Davis on your fantasy team this year. Uh, take away or, or not including all the parts about how he's a monster receiver. He's a great target to throw to just as a player specifically. And he's a guy that could turn into a red zone monster. Fade route, jump ball guy. But there's other really talented receivers in that Jets receiving core. Alan Lazard came over. Um, I'm obviously forgetting a bunch of guys, but the Jets have a loaded roster offensively. They just got Dalvin Cook. They had Brees Hall. Those other guys are going to draw so much attention. And Corey Davis has had a few down years. It's time to go for Corey Davis. It's kind of a make or break year for Corey Davis. And I think that motivation for him combined with the fact that Aaron Rodgers is now his quarterback, got to go after Corey Davis. That doesn't mean draft him in top five rounds even, but if he's there and you've already filled up two or three wide receiver slots, I, I love trying to grab Corey Davis if you can. All right. Number four wide receiver you need to prioritize going into this year's fantasy football draft is Christian Watson on the Packers, right? Now, this guy, it's a little bit of an unknown uh, because, you know, the success he's had in his career so far to this point has been with Aaron Rodgers. I get it. It's a little bit of hesitation there. Oh, how good is he going to be with Jordan Love? From all the reports and all the information and all the video we've seen, Christian Watson is not only like the number one guy and the best probably receiver in in Green Bay, but like it's starting to look like there's potential for him to be the guy that gets targeted like 14 to 17 times a game by Jordan Love. He's the wide receiver one in Green Bay. He's a good target. He's already proved he can be reliable and also be resilient right and bounce back from some of the early struggles he had new quarterback with jordan love who's gonna be looking for that guy he can have as mr reliable it's gonna be christian watson and the guy's got a track record already right he's had some monster games with aaron Rodgers. i'm not saying jordan love is aaron Rodgers, but what i am saying is jordan love uh, as a new starting quarterback is gonna have a wide receiver one and it's gonna be christian watson's so i'd go after him if you're 
in a spot with your draft where you've got your RB1, you've got your wide receiver one, and maybe you get your RB2, then you're looking for a wide receiver two, man, that Christian Watson is your guy. Like that's that's the guy to pick up. All right. Third guy you really need to keep an eye on. And this is maybe a later in the draft type guy, but where you've got both receiver spots and maybe you've already got your flex, but you're looking for a little bit of depth. This guy, don't be surprised if he starts getting swooped up earlier in the draft than you would have picked, or you're looking at your depth charts and all of a sudden, boom, you see this guy come off the board and you're like, whoa, that's kind of high. And this guy's Justin Ross, okay? Justin Ross at Clemson was a freak. He just didn't get targeted a lot. But you look at some of the tape on Justin Ross in college, some of the catches this guy made were like unbelievable unbelievable and last year with Mahomes I don't think he really even got a lot of looks he might have been hurt regardless he's a fully healthy viable receiver option in an offense conducted and ran by Andy Reid from a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes the Chiefs make guys into really productive players especially receivers not as much running backs, but Justin Ross, the ceiling for him is so high. That's why I'm saying don't over, don't reach for Justin Ross. But if he's there, man, and you filled out all your starting positions and maybe you're looking for a flex or maybe you're looking for a bench piece, maybe he goes undrafted. I doubt that's the case in a lot of leagues, but he's not going to be 100% rostered. I'll tell you that, especially 10-man, 8-man league. Go get Justin Ross. Keep him on your bench. Trade piece. Boom. He pops a, a two touchdown game. All right, I'll give you Justin Ross. Give me your RB2. Like, that's the type of ceiling this guy has, right? Give him a little bit of time. I'm not expecting him to just be the, the man uh, in Kansas City, but if he's integrated into their offense, don't be shocked. Number two wide receiver you need to keep an eye on this year is Adam Thielen. Now, Adam Thielen goes from Minnesota to Carolina. That's a downgrade. I get it. But in Minnesota, he wasn't the wide receiver one. He was, of course, right? Justin Jefferson was a monster. Now, before Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, you look at his numbers, man. He was a red zone hawk. I would catch a touchdown like every week. A couple years back, I think he had like 15 touchdowns. Goes to Carolina after a couple of down years, not down, down years, but like last year was not great for Thielen. He's got something to prove. Guy's got a chip on his shoulder. Doesn't drop passes. And similar to the Christian Watson situation, he's got a new starting quarterback who's going to be looking for reliable targets to throw the ball to. Thielen's a guy who's not going to out jump anybody. He's not going to outrun anybody, but he's a great receiver and he just seems to be open a lot. It's very reliable. And again, I'm not saying you got to take him as your wide receiver two right away, but he's a very viable flex option for you guys. Especially you get into round nine, round 10. Thielen's still sitting there. Take him, take him. Because again, the ceiling is high for him the the floor is not that low i mean what do you what worst case i feel like for thielen in most weeks he'll be a 
four catches for 39 yards, right? And his ceiling? 10 catches for 125 yards and two touchdowns. Literally, they, that Thielen could pull that off, especially with Bryce Young. Last but not least, and certainly the number one guy, not least at all, the number one guy you, you have to prioritize, and I would argue even try to reach for if the wide receiver selection starts to get thin early on in your fantasy draft. Number one guy you got to pay attention to is Calvin Ridley. I'm telling you guys, this year, Calvin Ridley is going to go ballistic, man. He's coming back with a vengeance. He hasn't played in over a year off a of suspension. Anybody remember Calvin Ridley and how unbelievably productive he was in Atlanta before he got suspended and he kind of got hurt a little bit like his last full season. He was a monster. I think he was like the number two or number three fantasy wide receiver the whole season. Now he's back. Now he's healthy. The team he ended up with in the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing nothing but trending up as is their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. He's got the potential to be not just wide receiver one in Jacksonville, but like top five fantasy wide receiver. And because of the suspension and people are going to hesitate, there's a chance that Calvin Ridley drops to like round five, round six, round seven, some fantasy leagues. If, if you have a, if you've got your RB one, you got your wide receiver one and Calvin Ridley's there. I'm going to take a chance on him in some of my drafts. And I recommend you guys do the same thing. I love Calvin Ridley at Alabama. Loved him when he was with the uh, with the Falcons. With mediocre, I mean, he had uh, Matt Ryan, right? Who was pretty solid, but he's coming back with a vengeance, dude. And he's going to be a priority. Uh, he's going to be he's going to be priority one for the Jags and Doug Peterson to get him going and get him integrated and get his confidence up, get him back in the swing of things. So keep an eye on Calvin Ridley, man. I really think there's an opportunity for him to have a monster, monster monster year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's my five wide receivers. I would keep an eye on. And again, summarizing from five to one, five being Corey Davis four Christian Watson, three, Justin Ross two Adam Thielen, one Calvin Ridley. Those are my wide receiver targets. Go get them in fantasy this year and good luck with those guys. I'm not an expert. I'm not a fortune teller, but that's just the guys I would be targeting. That's the guys I'm going to target in my fantasy this year. Moving on, running back targets, you need to keep a heavy, close eye on going into your fantasy drafts this season. Five guys, I'm going to be really kind of like, you know, queuing, keeping keeping close tabs on. Doesn't mean you need to get all of them, but guys where it's like, oh, he's available. And I'll explain more in detail about maybe the situation that you really need to start paying attention to some of these guys. Okay, so running back fantasy targets that we're going to go for. Starting at number five is Javante Williams with the Broncos. Now, the guy got hurt last year. He's coming back off an injury. I know he's not, you know, probably going to be getting, he's not going to be a three-down guy, at least in the first parts of the season, but that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, uh, especially if he's flex, if he's RB2, that might be kind of a reach. Uh, but if he's available, man, in like round six, round seven, round eight, you know, the, the running back board this year is a little bit thinner than I think in years past, a little bit top heavy. So if you got Javante Williams available and you have an RB2 slot and like the, the running back board's thin already, uh, or you have, you know, you need a flex position to, to fill, Javante Williams is going to be motivated. Sean Payton coming in as a new head coach. The offense is going to be better than it was 
when he was on the Broncos previously with Russ Wilson. And Russell Wilson loved giving him the ball. He's probably going to get a little bit of playing time taken away from Samaji P. Ryan, but he's just he's going to be motivated, man. Don't be shocked if you find yourself with Javante Williams week eight, week nine, and he's putting up two, three touchdown games. That's his ceiling, especially if he gets his feet wet, gets his bearings about him, gets a little bit more healthy, and he's ready to go. Number four running back, I would keep a very close eye on this year and try to potentially prioritize in that same realm as some guys that preceded him as starters on this team, but James Cook on the Bills, okay? Explosive Bills offense. Now, they are very pass-heavy. They've always been pass-heavy with Josh Allen and uh, the offensive scheme that they run. Sean McDermott likes to throw the football. I get it, but... James Cook, especially PPR, right? If you're going to be getting points for your receptions, he's going to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. He's going to get goal line carries. He's the gonna, he's the RB1 on the Bills. Uh, but that being said, I put him at four because it's, it's a guy that you need to target and keep a close eye on, but don't take him unless it's just, I don't know, unless you're an idiot, you take like four. You have no running backs. Like he don't take him in round three or round two. The highest I want to see James Cook going off the boards and should be going off the boards is round four, potentially, right? He might go sooner, but I'm not going to take him. If he's available in round four, round five, I'm taking him. That's where I'm at with James Cook. But in years past, he was a no, like he was never a top four round guy. So that's why I got him at four. So don't reach, but prioritize James Cook. Number three, running back you need to pay attention to this year, Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson in Atlanta. I mean, could a guy slide into a system in an area better than that right there? Bijan Robinson was very good in Texas with the Longhorns. Now he's with Atlanta. They, what is Atlanta known for? Big power backs running the ball downhill. That's Bijan Robinson. High ceiling, workhorse guy, potential for a three down back. Maybe not the first couple of weeks, but... If the Atlanta Falcons get the ball inside the five on first and goal, B. John Robinson will touch the ball at least two times, maybe three times in every time, every time they get into that situation. Now, how often are the, the Atlanta Falcons going to be first and goal inside the five? I don't know. Maybe not as often as some other teams, but the point is B. John Robinson has the potential to be a fantasy monster, not to mention he'll catch some passes out of the backfield. He'll be good. I like B. John Robinson, but don't reach. Don't take him in round four. Don't take him. Uh, well, actually, round four is not bad, but don't take him RB1, let's just say. Unless there's nobody else left and right, you load it up with receivers and tight end, and then he's the only guy available, right? There's obviously situational, and you got to be aware, especially in your drafts. But if B. John's there and you, you've already got an RB1, and like you're thinking, like, should I go wide receiver two or RB2, and B. John's there, take B. John. Take him. Number two fantasy running back you need to prioritize. And this is a guy that you need to take, if he's available, potentially RB1. It's Khalil Herbert with the Bears. Okay. A lot of read option with Justin Fields. A lot of running in general with the Bears. Maybe some screens. Khalil Herbert, his ceiling this year is... Fantasy RB overall RB4. Literally, that's his ceiling. 
Now, his floor is where the risk comes into factor because you don't want to take him as the fourth running back off the board. But the floor involved with Khalil Herbert is three to five points a week, and that's not what you're looking for if you're going to take him as your, as your RB1. But the ceiling for Khalil Herbert is super high. So if you go through your drafts and you have an RB1 picked and a wide receiver one picked and your turn comes around and Khalil Herbert's there, please take him as RB2, please. Or if you're a guy that goes wide receivers early or, you know, you slotted in to get Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. And then, you know, you don't pick again till late round two, early round three and Khalil Herbert's there. A lot of those other top guys are probably going to be off the board. Khalil Herbert, that should be your guy. He's going to be good this year. Now, he's got to stay healthy. The Bears, you know, very unpredictable. But I love Khalil Herbert, and I'm going to be taking a strong, strong look at him when his turn comes around this year. The number one running back fantasy target that I think everybody needs to be prioritizing and trying to get and I would put him potentially in the same in the same echelon as some of those top tier guys is Jameer Gibbs on the Detroit Lions. DeAndre Swift, gone. Jamal Williams, gone. PPR leagues. Jameer Gibbs is going to be a savage. Like, I think Jameer Gibbs could potentially be a top three fantasy running back this year. He's an extremely physical back. He's a pass-catching machine and is coming from a program that is known to produce running back monsters in the NFL. And that's Alabama. And he wasn't a flashy superstar numbers machine at Alabama. He was very good, but he's got the potential to pull off a Josh Jacobs similar type situation where Josh Jacobs wasn't a numbers machine in Alabama. And last year he was a top three running back fantasy wise in the NFL. If you're not taking a good, hard look at Jameer Gibbs, if your turn in the draft comes around and McCaffrey's off the board, Eckler's off the board, um, who else is there in running back world? If you go through and let's say like this, Eckler's off the board, McCaffrey's off the board, Derrick Henry's off the board and Saquon's off the board. I would take Jameer Gibbs before Tony Pollard, before Aaron Jones, before Najee Harris, before Ramondre Stevens. Like, I think Jameer Gibbs in Detroit is going to be a monster monster now i could be wrong and you don't have to take my advice i know i'm gonna be taking him before all those guys i just mentioned that's just me that's just me don't come after me 
But also, I don't want to hear about it. Where did this guy come from? Ryan told you. Ryan told you. He's a monster. He's going to be a monster. So prioritize those guys. And again, to summarize the running back targets you need to be going after this year in fantasy, number five, Javante Williams. Number four, James Cook. Number three, B. John Robinson. Number two, Khalil Herbert. Number one, Jameer Gibbs. Those are the five guys to keep an eye on this year in fantasy at running back. Keep the context in mind. Don't reach for those guys if you if you if you know all this you get pick three and you're taking Jameer Gibbs. Don't do that. You're an idiot. But pick eight, pick ten. We'll see. Anyways. That's going to do it, guys, for episode 59 of the We Know Ball podcast. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed. We covered a lot, of, a lot of different topics all over the spectrum today. NBA, MLB, NFL, college football, fantasy football. We got it all. We got it all going, guys. So either way, hopefully, you guys enjoyed episode 59, the We Know Ball podcast. If you guys aren't already, be sure to, judge, be sure to check us out on social media at We Know Ball Sports. Instagram, TikTok, at Ryan Knows Ball on Twitter. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we greatly appreciate it. If you're checking it out on YouTube, be sure to go check us out. Full episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And otherwise, we'll catch you guys on the next episode, episode 60 of the We Know Ball Podcast. Peace out, guys. The